Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 27th episode of the Trojan Venture Podcast. It's crazy that we're already halfway, well, more than halfway through January, but glad that we've been able to get a couple of episodes in after the start of the new year. And today I'm really excited for our guests that we're, I'm going to be speaking with because they have an awesome story, but also it's a story that feels very similar to the one I'm trying to create. So really looking forward to this. So on today's episode, I have the pleasure to welcome Landon Campbell, General Manager at Drive Capital. Landon is one of four Drive Capital General Managers assigned to four different cities in the Midwest, with Landon being responsible for growing Drive Capital's pre-seed fund and office in Chicago. After graduating from DePaul University in the spring of 2020, he co-founded and co-hosted the popular business podcast In Their 20s sharing insights derived from the early days of the world's most successful people, with guests like Steve Wozniak and Better O'Rourke. Landon has also served as a marketing advisor for the Black Venture Capital Consortium, an executive at Inside.com, and a talent acquisition intern at Cameo. Obviously, I'm really excited to ask Landon all about his podcast, how that led to his current role. So let's get him on the call. Hey, Landon. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Really, really excited to have you on today. I think, you know, as we go throughout the episode, a lot of listeners are going to see a lot of parallels between what you've done early in your career and what I've been working on as well. So the first thing I want to touch on is this podcast that you started right when COVID happened in 2020 and you were graduating college called In Their 20s. And so I want to know, what are some of your favorite pieces of advice that guests on your podcast have shared? Yeah, so I had so much fun working on the podcast. Um, started it with my best friend, Michael, um, continued it um, and hit over 110 episodes with very influential uh, business leaders, athletes, celebrities, politicians. It was a wide array of um, different guests. So I think often of like sort of what is, you know, if I'm able to condense like the top advice, like what are the three top lessons? Um, I think number one um, is just doing a lot of different shit in your 20s. Um, you know, it's really difficult for someone to just say, okay, I'm going to be passionate about this and want to work on this forever. Um, in order to get there, you know, and sort of find your purpose, as many folks in their 20s are trying to find and, you know, what they're uber passionate about. I really do believe you need to have a lot of interest in your 20s. And that was something that a lot of folks that I've interviewed um, did, you know, as well. You know, they tried many different things. They had many different hobbies, activities. Um, and then the interests that they became obsessed with, um, were meaning they couldn't imagine themselves doing anything else. Um, they loved it when, you know, that interest was easy. They loved that interest when it was difficult those obsessions would then become their passions. Um, so do a lot in your 20s. I think another one is you can't fear failure. Um, you know, a lot of my guests, whether, you know, they before they created Apple, before they built Twitter, before they would run for president, um, you know, they had a lot of folks in their corner even telling them, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't invest all your time into that um, because that could fail. Um, and I've learned early in my career that, um, you know, if, if you feel, if, if, if you don't do something, if you don't start a project, if you don't um, follow through with something because you're scared you're going to fail, ultimately that is failure. Um, so we learn so much from these moments of adversity. We learn so much from these failures. Um, and more times than not, they end up pivoting into something else. 
uh, maybe something that you do become successful from. Uh, just a super quick aside, before I started this podcast, um, I was actually working on a whole other startup, you know, in uh, an adjacent space, um, you know, we can, we can say. Um, but because, you know, I had a quote unquote failure with that, um, I was able to then pivot into starting the podcast. Um, so I would have never started the podcast if I didn't fail at the first thing. So you cannot fear failure. Um, and I think um, the third point um, that, you know, I'll mention is uh, who you surround yourself with in your 20s. Um, it is really, really important. Um, you you want to be surrounded by folks who are equally or even more ambitious than you, folks that push you uh, to find greatness, um, do amazing things. And I, I think that pressure is really positive. Um, and everybody I've had on the show in one way or another has communicated that to me. Um, you know, their um, group of friends, um, you know, the programs they were in in their early 20s, um, you know, their first job, but like that environment, I uh, just like this, the environment that or atmosphere you have early is really important. So um, I'd say that's a third lesson. That makes total sense. And I think everybody would agree that interviewing is an art that takes practice. So from your, if you were to look kind of from a self-reflective point of view, how do you think your podcasting style or interview style kind of evolved from the beginning of starting the podcast back in 2020 up until, you know, a hundred episodes later. Yeah. Um, I'd say active listening is very difficult, but it's a really um, important skill when it comes to interviewing, when it comes to solving problems. Um, you know, it, it's trans, it's translated into so many things that I've done, you know, post podcast. So really making sure that, you know, I was fully attentive during conversations, um, you know, because you can't pre-plan too much. Um, in fact, you know, I didn't even have questions going into, you know, a lot of episodes. Instead, I just had topics. So another piece of it's, you know, doing a good amount of your own diligence on um, the guest. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be searching for topics that, you know, I, I think I should, you know, ask also during the conversations. A lot of times I was looking for topics that I just should steer away from, like, by doing research on a guest, like what are they asked about commonly during other appearances they've been in? Like, you know, what do you think they talk about too much? I try and find the topics that like, you know, I'd, I'd stay away from. So then I could find areas where, okay, like I, I want them to like peek their eyebrow like during the conversation. I want them to say, wow, you know, I've never been asked that question before. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to come up with that. Um, so I, I think that, that was another skill that was really important. Um, and you know, with podcasting, it's just such a, um, like, provide value um, sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of initiative, meaning, you know, I'd always find ways to, um, because folks were graciously giving me their time, like, you know, how could I amplify this episode after, uh, through clips, through blog posts, um, through just in general PR, you know, for them in their initiatives. Um, so I, I think I learned a lot about just the art of providing value first, you got a lot of people who are just, you know, asking like, you know, for this, for that, for this. I, I think a lot of times you got to find ways to provide value first. So um, I was able to build a lot of relationships through the podcast, um, not just, you know, by treating my guests as another guest, but like, you know, how could I sort of uh, repay um, their time on my show and like go a step further? So you talk about how you built a lot of relationships during your time doing this podcast. How do you think those relationships, how did you lever those relationships into your role at Drive Capital? Yeah, um, so I work with early stage startups today 
um, founders before their founders. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of them you know, are relocating to Chicago where we have our office space here. So I'm helping them sort of build the foundation of their companies in the best of my, um, to the best of my ability. Um, so the, the guests have been, my former podcast guests have been able to help in a lot of different ways. Um, since a lot of these folks have built massive enterprises and companies and they've seen a lot, um, a few of them have served as mentors um, to a few of my founders. You know, coming by the office, speaking about their own experiences. You know, we've done a few fireside chats. Uh, I've been able to facilitate a few one-on-one -on -one conversations. Even one of my companies, you know, launched a podcast on the side as a marketing effort. Um, and I was able to bring one of my former guests like onto their show. So I thought that that was really cool. Um, so there's that. And then also locally, um, I had mentioned that a lot of my founders have relocated to Chicago because I've been able to interview and build relationships with influential people in the city. You know, I've been able to really help people break ground in Chicago um, efficiently. So yeah, it really helps to like have that network already sort of like, you know, um, at your, um, I mean, like as a resource, like when you move to a new city, because building a company is difficult enough, but like if you can use a network, um, you know, like mine, for example, to help source your first few customers or maybe other investors um, or even potential employees that could be joining as an advisor or, um, you know, to whatever uh, for your company. I think that that's really helpful. So that's a, those are a few ways that my network's been super helpful. And you talk about Chicago and that's where you're living and breathing startups. What gets you excited about the Chicago venture capital ecosystem? Yeah, no, I, I love the opportunities in this city. I mean, we're the third largest city in the U.S. Um, so much innovation and different companies and technological advancements have come out of Chicago, particularly, and, and also the Midwest. Um, you know, and I also look at the cost of living and um, sort of the just immense amount of talent that you can get out of Chicago. You know, Chicago being the second top destination for college grads nationally. Um, I just think that there's so many opportunities here. Um, but in a way, it seems like they're still overlooked because when you think about startup, um, you know, capitals, um, Chicago isn't usually like the first city that comes to mind. So I, I love that we have all the pieces. They haven't always connected um, how they should, um, which to me just means that there's there are so many more things to figure out, which is which is great. Um, there's so much more opportunity um, to transform Chicago into a tier one hub. Um, so, you know, a lot of other cities have it all figured out for the most part. I'm really moved by the fact where, you know, we have this optimism to build a bigger and better Chicago. Um, and there's so much room to grow. The companies that I work with today, you know, can be pieces to that puzzle that transform the city and help sort of build that flywheel where they start small, um, they build, build, build in Chicago, they stay here. Um, and next thing you know, they're hiring thousands of employees. Uh, they're bringing in, you know, billions of capital um, to the city um, and opportunity. So I think that that's really special as well. And that's a huge pitch to the companies that have decided to move to Chicago. Uh, yes, building a company is hard enough, but also building an ecosystem. I mean, that's got to feel really, um, you know, gratifying for sure. Um, and, you know, I just point to the companies that have done it in other major cities. Like before uh, Silicon Valley, it was really Boston. Um, you know, Silicon Valley did not start as the top ecosystem um, to build a company. And in fact, in the 70s, when Silicon Valley was sort of getting started, a lot of folks in Boston and other cities were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, it's build companies here makes no sense. But it took a couple of highly ambitious founders um, leveraging, 
you know, new technology, um, aka semiconductors, why it's called Silicon Valley, um, to build um, Silicon Valley to what it is today. So I'm pointing at, you know, the apples of the world, the Sun Microsystems, the um, Microsofts, et cetera. And every city, every ecosystem has kind of a unique flair. So for example, in New York, a lot of fintech companies obviously are centered there. You have San Francisco, which is much more general SaaS based. From your experience so far working in the Chicago ecosystem, what kind of industries are you kind of seeing the most opportunities on? Yeah. So what I, another reason I love Chicago is we are like one of the most diverse ecosystems um, in the U.S. So no one industry takes up more than 13% of the overall economy, which means anything and everything can be built in Chicago. And, you know, we, we've seen that. Like I had an opportunity to work at the fastest growing creator economy company um, in the world at Cameo. And a lot of people assume that Cameo was, you know, built in LA or New York, but it was, it was built in Chicago. Um, and I could say the same about many different industries um, from biotech to um, life sciences, to ed tech, uh, to FinTech, um, the, to even Web3. We have a huge Web3 community in Chicago. So I love the diversity of our uh, economy. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think, and I, I won't say just a Chicago thing, but it's been great to see sort of the um, leverage of, you know, AI as a major platform shift. Um, you know, a lot of that coming from Chicago. And I, I point to our history uh, where the first ever paper on neural networks was published in Chicago. So I'm really hoping that that will continue to be an area um, where founders, you know, want to leverage because that's just where I see, you know, business going, leveraging this technology. And since you guys work at the seed stage, capital is just one part of the equation. So this might be just a question for the Chicago office or drive capital in general, but what other things outside of capital do you guys kind of provide to founders at this stage? Yes, great question. Um, so because I work, you know, primarily with early teams, you know, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, helping whiteboarding and brainstorming when it comes to go to market um, because a startup's biggest advantage is being able to hit market quick. Uh, hit the ground running and uh, move fast, moving faster than larger incumbents. Um, and I'm a big believer that action produces information. So I, I love working with our teams on different ways of distribution, go to market, um, connected to that storytelling. I, I'd say that that's one of my, um, you know, um, abilities and it's a transferable skill from podcasting and, you know, my time in marketing. So storytelling ability. Um, and the third, um, which I mentioned earlier, like helping companies break ground here, like leveraging um, the resources in Chicago and Midwest, finding talent, whatever that might be. Those are like the three areas that I usually help with. And every investor is different. Every firm is different. Um, but that's sort of where I've been able to, um, you know, make uh, or provide value, I should say. And every investor probably has a little bit different answer to this especially at the early stage. But for you personally, what things are you looking for in founders and what, what kind of indicators of a successful founder are you kind of looking at? Yeah, um, highly technical, scrappy um, teams. Um, so let's, you know, tear apart both of those real quick. Um, tech companies need technical talent. And I, I think, you know, if companies are, you know, technically led, um, you know, you'll be able to recruit the best talent and, you know, convince people to come, you know, work for you um, and build with you more or less. 
Um, so technical on that front, you know, just builders, you know, you, you can um, coach them on something or like they have an idea and like it's just built that night or, you know, earlier than that. Um, so I have a few teams uh, that can move that fast and it's really great versus having to depend on like a, you know, outsourced agency or, you know, having to depend on, I mean, you know, if you don't have technical talent, I mean, it's very difficult. And like maybe, you know, an argument could be made that the barriers to entry of like building a company or, you know, drastically going down with um, the, the use of AI. Um, but I don't think, you know, I'd be ready to like say, okay, like someone who does not have a CTO um, and is just using AI, um, you know, like I don't think that's like the best replacement yet. So technical, scrappy, you know, somebody who can like run through walls, um, you know, they make something out of nothing, I think is really important. Um, and I, I think, rap, you know, kind of combining both of those, like storytelling ability is really important. Like, why does this need to be built today? And why are you the team to go after this? And yes, you have like this very uh, specific pointed uh, solution that you're working on today, but like, what's the massive vision? And like, you know, how big can this become? Um, story is going to help you not just get us excited, investors, but also, um, you know, get your first few hires, get your first few customers. So storytelling um, matters across the spectrum. I'd say, I mean, those three um, are extra important. And like, there are others as well, but I'd say those three tend to be um, the, the standouts. You speak about investor excitement. One thing that I've kind of seen now working at some venture <laughs> capital firms is one of the main parameters that investors use is if a founder has previous exits. How important is that for you personally? And how can like first time founders kind of get past that hurdle? Yeah, you know, what you said was correct. I mean, every investor, you know, and firm has a different um, view on that. I mean, I think the experience is important, but I spent a lot of my time on university campuses, assuming that a lot of the folks I'm speaking with have not started companies before. And in fact, they might be, you know, on the, on the younger side. Um, so maybe they um, haven't, not only haven't, haven't had an exit, but maybe haven't started anything. Spent a lot of my time looking through a lot of research repositories and reading different dissertations, you know, looking for ideas that could become enterprises. So with that, I mean, it's again, a lot of people who maybe aren't even thinking of becoming a founder uh, that, you know, we're having conversations with. So, um, you know, with that, I, I think another trait that's kind of important to look for is like, is this person able to think like a scientist? Like, you know, they, they don't just have these assumptions, but like, what what have they done? They've, they've spoken with potential customers um, before anybody's asked them to do that. Um, you know, they've started to articulate the problem, you know, from these unique insights before anybody's told them to do anything or, you know, told them to do that. They started building product uh, just, you know, in their basement or you know, at a local coffee shop, not because anybody told them to do it, but I mean, just because, you know, they are passionate about it. Um, and, you know, they, they want to solve this problem. So I'd say, you know, I'd point to that, like, what have you done before anybody's told you to do it? Like, that could be a great indicator. Um, and also, you know, kind of looping it back to advice I gave earlier, um, you know, a few of the podcast guests I've had, um, just like building up these different interests, like trying a lot of different things, knowing that action produces information, eventually you're going to see what sticks. So I think that's a great quality um, to find in someone. So again, to answer your question, um, the amount of exits um, someone has had um, isn't some isn't a place where you know where I'm prioritizing my time. You know we're we're following the ideas, the problems, the founders. That makes total sense. 
And in your role, obviously, you're looking at a lot of different startups at the same time. You're working on a lot of different companies. For you personally, has this kind of experience made you want to kind of start a company of your own at some point? How has that kind of how has this experience kind of influenced your future career plans? Yeah, you know, like won't we'll, we'll say no to anything. But um, right now, like, I'm I'm so excited and moved by you know what I'm doing. Um, and in a way, it feels like I'm a little, you know, co-founder co to uh, many different companies because I work with so many different, um, you know, of our teams here. Um, and I'm always down to assist and help wherever I can and be resourceful. Um, so, yeah, who knows? You know, in, in the future, that totally could happen. Um, and I'd say the reason why I wanted to pursue venture initially was because I, I didn't have that one idea founder you know has to focus on that one idea for 10 plus years at times very difficult journey i didn't have like that one thing that one insight that one problem i wanted to go after but to have an opportunity to work across many different industries helping people solve many different problems um was just very um you know intriguing to me so really grateful i get to do what i do today and there's a ton of students or and young people that want to get into venture capital. I think there's a lot of myths around how the industry actually works. So now that you've been in the industry for a few years, what would be some general advice you would give to students interested in VC about how to best break into the industry? There's no one way to get into venture. Um, and I think the best advice I've ever been given from um, you know, a prominent angel investor was to do the work before you have the job. So don't wait for someone to like hold your hand and say, congrats, you know, here's the gig, like you're an investor. Just start doing the roles of an investor today. So what does that mean? You know, like start to find areas that you're passionate about, different industries, become someone who meets with a bunch of founders in that particular space. You know, all the investors in that space. How can you start to provide value? You know, like, are you able to now start sending founders to set investors just to build relationships? Um, you know, you, you can write your thoughts down, you know, be a thought leader, you know, within certain areas um, from all the insights you're garnering from building your network. Um, start sharing your own views, you know, on these spaces. Um, and the third thing, I mean, yeah, just how, how can you start to provide value? Um, I, I think that's a huge um, sort of role within venture. Um, like, yes, it's capital allocation, but at the end of the day also, you know, it's helping founders with whatever they need to be the most successful. Um, that doesn't mean getting in their way. Um, so, you know, take that advice with a grain of salt. But I mean, um, I, I think there are always so many different ways to provide value to founders and you don't have to be, quote unquote, working for a firm in order to do that. So now that we've moved to 2024, people are interested in a lot of different industry verticals. What is I mean, you could say it as a prediction. What's kind of one prediction that you have for the venture capital industry in 2024? It could be it could be bold. It could be something that could be pretty reasonable. Either or. Um, it, it's not bold. You've probably heard it before, but I mean, I just think that um, you know, founders are going to continue to have to find ways to do more with less. Um, so I, I think in you know the previous years, um, there's just let's overdo everything. You know, overcapitalize businesses, overhire. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that ended up, you know, <laughs> resulting in some, um, you know, negative tailwinds. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of founders doing more with less. Um, I'd hope to see more investors um, continue to build their platform and continue to find ways to help. Um, and when I say platform, I mean like the actual sort of like platform role um, at a firm. So find ways to help beyond, you know, check writing, um, you know, to provide value 
and resources to founders um, because just with how fast the world's moving um, and you know how competitive um, you know the business of starting a company is, um, I think founders are going to need an extra level of support. Um, so I, I think that's going to be really important to see. Um, so I'd say, yeah, those are my two. I mean, they're not that bold. Um, so sorry, but I mean, you know, just doing more with less and, you know, just more um, active investors, not just sitting around and assuming that, you know, things will go right. So I guess as a last question, one of the biggest things that I've been told in college from my teachers and professors is think about what skills you're best at and how do you yep. hold skills. Um, so for you, what skills do you think you are best at personally? And, you know, how do you hope to grow at those skills that you already have? Yeah, I mentioned a few. Um, so I, I, I think and that, that this is super important. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, in order to first start providing value, you got to, like, first start to know, like, you know, what you, you can provide value in. Like, I would never offer my services at, you know, building a website for someone because I, I just don't do that. So there are other areas I'm, you know, I particularly spend a lot of time in. So, yeah, like, um, I'd say marketing, storytelling, um, go-to-market, brand building, um, you know, are, are three areas that I've spent a lot of time in and I feel, you know, comfortable with helping teams with. Um, for a few areas in particular, so like creator economy, music, you know, I've built wide networks in those, um, so I can help there. And then also in Chicago, um, you know, helping with hiring, sourcing, like um, for our companies, um, potential customers, you know, that's an area I help with a lot too, in, in the broader Midwest as well. Well, Landon, I want to thank you again for your time. I know you've done a lot of this and I'm glad that you were able to take the time and have this chat with me. I really appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, this was a lot of fun and can't wait to see the episode. Sounds good. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I certainly did. Landon was, I could see that, you know, he comes from a podcasting background, give the kind of the depth of his answer. So it was really great to speak with him today. And to kind of just wrap up, I thought, you know, I was looking for what were my main insights from our conversation and I came up with three. The first is, it was really interesting to hear about the diversity of the Chicago ecosystem and the venture ecosystem in specific that Landon was talking about. I think that's very different than a lot of other ecosystems without within the United States, like in New York, or San Francisco. And so for that reason, I think Landon's right that Chicago really has a unique value proposition. Second, I loved how he mentioned the opportunity to kind of leverage AI for all these new opportunities. I think, you know, in this AI craze, we might almost get sick of thinking about the word AI and all of its application, but it's really, really important. And there's so many different opportunities to help expand so many different types of businesses. And the last thing is something that I've really tried to dedicate myself to is the idea of providing value before asking people for favors, for example, like having somebody on your podcast. I think Lynn is so right to point that out. I think that you have to find out for yourself how you can create value for other people, how you can use your skills to help that other person and to help kind of create a working relationship altogether. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you guys all enjoyed and we'll be back next week with another episode. All right. Thanks guys.